0: Well, hello, and uh, welcome back to the Cincy Reformed podcast. Pastor Zach here this week, um, joining you. Thanks for uh, making the time to uh, tune in. We are a podcast hosted by Westside Reform Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's great to have you with us today. Um, The topic today that I'd like to um, reflect on a little bit is um, something that uh, comes out of our uh, Canons of Dort, and uh, there's a particular article in the Canons of Dort that I remember for myself at least, um, seeing it and um, reading it and thinking to myself, wow, that seems quite out of place and surprising. I remember being at seminary and asking uh, one of my professors about that. And he was thrilled (laughs) that I asked the question because he had actually written, I think his PhD on the, on that exact article. Um, And so, you know, it it was interesting to um, kind of see something that um, uh, there that uh, other people have noticed as being perhaps you know somewhat surprising um, in, in need of explanation and uh, the the particular article pertains to the salvation of uh, infants um, whether preborn or uh, born um, and what's uh, what happens in terms of their salvation and so let me just read that can's door article for you and then, I'll read a couple of verses that I think uh, inform this, and then provide some reflections on why it is that um, we confess this, and why um, this is really comforting and and good news. So, from the Canons of Dort, this is from the years 1618 and 1619. This is the uh, the the Synod of Dort is where we. Um, receive that so-called five points of calvinism if you've heard of that before uh, but the uh, canons of the are really much more uh, fulsome in their doctrine than the uh, five points so-called are and in the uh, first section it's called the first head of doctrine there are um, a number of articles 18 of them and in the first head of doctrine which relates to uh, unconditional election uh, article 17 Uh, we read this. The the heading of this is The Salvation of Deceased Infants of Believers. Then the uh, content of the article is this. Since we must make judgments about God's will from his word, which testifies that the children of believers are holy, not by nature, but by virtue of the gracious covenant in which they, together with their parents, are included, godly parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom god calls out of this life in infancy so that key phrase their godly parents ought not to doubt the election and salvation of their children whom god calls out of this life in infancy now a very commonly um, read text that uh, relates to this um uh you know consideration and this um sad very tragic scenario is from Second Samuel chapter 12, where King David is about to um, lose his child, and then uh, one of his um, sons uh, does die. And uh, here's what we read in verses uh, 22 and 23 of Second Samuel chapter 12. David said, "While the children was still alive, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, "Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is gone." Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And so there, um, a number of important things just to note there is that King David was expecting that he was going to go somewhere. And in Psalm 16 and Psalm 23, we see very clearly that David was expecting that after his death, he would be in glory. He would be in heaven with the Lord. So for example, he writes, um, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, certainly that is um, uh, to be found in the words of Jesus Christ. But the words of Jesus Christ are also the words of David in Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11. And so we read there and understand there that David was expecting that he would be in the um, presence of God uh, in eternity. And that becomes even more clear, I think, in Psalm 23, where David writes that, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So he has an expectation of where he is going, and that is he's going to glory. He's going to the heavenly courts of God. And so then when we read back to him speaking about how his uh, son will not come to him, but rather that he would go to his son, uh, that that means that he thought and believed and confessed that his son was with God in in glory. Now, that is certainly a comforting thing. Um, I think that uh, when we begin to bring up this topic of the salvation of uh, infants who uh, die in this life uh, as infants, then there are different ways that people um, will speak about this. And some things I think are quite, um, you know, maybe on the surface, uh, maybe uh, sound nice and sound good, but um, really aren't exactly helpful. Some people will say things like, all things turn out for good for those who love God. But then the question becomes there, that's a response that people give to, um, uh, the, the death of infants, the response is, well, we don't know if our child loved God. And indeed, do infants really have that kind of capacity to to love God actively and to um, follow after God? All things work out for good for those who love God, but does that uh, child love God becomes the uh, question. So a nice you know verse to quote, but perhaps not exactly helpful in this situation of a, the death of a child. Um, other people I've heard say things like, well, God is merciful and God is just. And so we can rest in that. And again, those are wonderful truths and good things to say, but that doesn't really speak to the issue. Uh, The justice of God is the concern that we have. God is just and original sin is true. Uh, Our children are conceived and born in sin, and that means our children are guilty being by nature. Um, offspring of the first Adam and not the second Adam by nature. And so to say God is merciful and just doesn't really answer the question or address the concern or get to the place where David got to because the issue is, is God just toward the child? Does he show justice toward the child of a believer? Or does he show mercy toward the child of a believer? And so the some of the cliches that are kind of thrown out there verses that are turned to might be uh, True and good and but they might not actually be helpful for the uh, situation at hand and answer the questions That we're raising right now uh, There are some out there who look at the thing with David and will just simply say well David was a prophet. You know, he knew Where his child was going because he was a king and prophets. We don't know And actually, our kids are not Christians, so we don't really have the same kind of confidence that Prophet David had. Um, Some would say that none of our children are saved because they are guilty because of original sin, and they're too young to have faith. Therefore, they're not part of the church. They don't have a a mature, formed faith. And so no children, not even the children of believers, are saved in the end. Some people would say that. Um, Other people would know say that well god is not just just he's merciful and so he saves all infants because they have not uh actually uh, rejected jesus they've not uh, reached an you know, age of discretion and so therefore they're all saved and i would love for that to be true of course but i don't think the bible teaches that and indeed the bible teaches us that we are all conceived and born in sin which means we're guilty even from the womb and so it's really that way of saying that all infants are saved because they haven't personally rejected God well they have they rejected God in Adam by union with Adam uh, and their nature is corrupt and that is from conception onward and so um, it's a nice thing to say doesn't seem to have any real biblical grounding in fact the Bible seems to go in the opposite direction Still other people would say that unbaptized infants go to a place of limbo called a limbus and phantom, a third place. But that's not at all where David thought his child was going. David was not expecting to go to some limbo. Um, that child was uh, died on the seventh day, and is what the text is suggesting. There were seven days of fasting that David took up. So that child was not yet circumcised, uh, the you know, um, analog to baptism. And so did this child go to some place of limbo? No, because David expected to go to the same place that his son wins. And David was not expecting to go to limbo. He expected clearly in Psalm 16, Psalm 23, and elsewhere, David expected to go to glory, to heaven. And so when we then think about this this topic, we need to be thinking about how then do we hold together the fact that David himself expected to go to heaven. He believed his child was going there. How then do we think about our own children? And how do we make sense of the um, article from the Canons of Dort that I just read in the first head of doctrine, Article 17, on the salvation of deceased infants of believers? Well, there are a few things we can say here. First, just to note the uh, covenants of grace, and this is where we need to begin. God has not only given us uh, audible promises, he's not only written them down Uh, through the hands of prophets and apostles within the text of scripture but god has also established for us a tangible covenant and a tangible uh, covenant community he has done that in a way that condescends to our uh, physicality in order to help us to not only hear something but to also experience something to feel something that we don't just hear a promise in our minds or read something in a text and wonder, is that for me or not? But rather, God also includes us into a physical people and to join us into a physical fellowship with sacraments or rituals and with that community that we join with and worship with. This um, way of making the message of the gospel uh, physical and tangible has uh, been the case of God's covenant dealing throughout history. Uh, his covenant in the Garden of Eden, um, while that was the covenant of works, not the covenant of grace, it still had physicality and tangi- and it was still tangible to the covenant members with that tree of life. When you go into then the book of Genesis after the fall, it's very clear that again, the uh, covenant of grace, the, the gospel that's then promised, that takes tangible form. The um, people of God would be the seed of the woman and they would be at war with the serpent and with his seed. And that's promise that was made verbally and in the ears also is manifest with sacraments and with a tangible people. The Abrahamic covenant people takes shape. The Mosaic covenant people take shape as a continuation of the Abrahamic people. The Davidic covenant is made with a lineage, of uh, david and his um, sons and then in the new covenant as well we have a tangibility to the uh, covenant and the covenant people with the sacrament of baptism the lord's supper and then the outward physical gathering of the people of god and so that gospel promise is made to us the gospel promise uh, includes us into a, a physical tangible people god promises that he will be our god and we will be his people And that becomes then embodied and manifest through various covenants within the biblical text as the story of God unfolds. Now, as we think then about who then are members of that covenant of grace, it's important to recognize that God made that gospel promise in Genesis chapter three, that he would bring life from the womb of the woman. The woman is then renamed from woman to then be named Eve, which means the the mother of the living. And what God had promised was that from her womb would come a lineage, a people, a church would arise, and not only a lineage that would be at at war with the offspring of the serpent, but also a distinct seed would emerge, a divine warrior who would do battle with the serpent and crush his head while that serpent struck his heel. Now, I want to focus in not so much on our savior Jesus as with the church that arises that seed of the woman that's people who would then uh, be at warfare, spiritual warfare throughout its existence with the uh, serpentine uh, seed for what happens in Genesis is that after that promise is made, you then see that Genesis is divided into lineages. It is a story of genealogies. There's a genealogy, a, a family, a lineage, of uh cain going forward and you see that that would be the predominance of world history in the book of genesis where the descendants of cain the spiritual offspring those who fall away on the other hand there is the believing lineage the people of god the seed of the woman who emerges from the fall and goes from seth onward and then seth you know gives way then over the course of time to to noah uh, Noah then through Shem leads forward to Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then culminating at the end with Joshua. Throughout that story of Genesis, you see that the seed of the woman takes physical shape. It is a lineage. Children are part of the people of God. And so it's not a surprise then with the Abrahamic covenants that the sign of the covenant is then given to children, that those male um, offspring and infants on the eighth day, receive that sign and seal of the covenant. For after all, the people of God is a lineage. It's not only a lineage, of course, especially in our day, you can be converted and enter into the church without being previously a part of it. But it certainly is not less than a lineage. We see that from the beginning of Genesis, through the covenant made with Abraham, and then going forward through Moses. Nothing changed. Households were members of the covenants. Households belong to Israel. God made his promises to the household of Israel, and part of the household of Israel were the children of those adult believers. When we get to the new covenant, again, nothing changes. Households are baptized. Peter declares that the promises are for you and for your children at Pentecost. Paul tells us that the children of believers are holy, and we have no reason, therefore, to question the sentiment of Jesus when he says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God. Now, when we then think about this covenant people and the members of the covenant people being believers and also their children, we then recognize that within our covenant theology, that covenant of grace takes physical shape and manifestation that believers and their children are part of that covenant and covenant people. And so therefore, when we begin to think then about the death of covenant children, whether they are uh, they miscarried and die in the womb or whether they die shortly after birth, we then have every confidence. Our canons of Dort say we ought not to doubt their salvation and their election. Why? Because they died in good standing, In the covenant people of God. That God sets them apart from the very moment of conception as holy to himself. Baptism does not make them holy. Baptism confirms that yes, indeed, they are holy. It establishes and strengthens them in that holy calling that is given to them, granted to them by grace from the very moment of their conception. That God declares that they are no longer by nature members of Adam but they who by nature would belong to Adam are from the very beginning, from conception, set apart to belong to his covenant people to belong to Jesus Christ. And so as we then think covenantally about children, we begin to see why not only do we baptize infants and baptize those children who are, the children of adult converts, but we also then have great comfort and hope to confess with David that should our children uh, die in the womb or outside the womb, that we can say with David that those children will not come back to us, but rather we uh, will go to them. And so I hope that this helps you as we think about a difficult uh, topic. Hope it gives you who are a Christian confidence. If you have um, lost children in the womb or lost children in, in younger years, it can also be helpful for us when we think about children who might be uh, disabled and perhaps they are unable to come to some uh, mature uh, understanding of the biblical teaching and faith in Jesus, that God still nevertheless condescends to set them apart. And while they might not achieve some mature and adult profession of faith, or some uh, mature uh, formed faith, that we can still recognize that as John the Baptist from the womb uh, rejoiced at the voice of his Savior, so too we can recognize that our children who gather for worship even in the womb of their mothers that they can uh, rejoice to hear that word that they do not even understand so much but they recognize the voice of their heavenly father speaking in scripture just as they begin to recognize from the womb the voice of their mother or their or their father so we have confidence if the lord does um apportion us a difficult providence in life, yet we know that it is more desirable to depart and be with Christ, yet that does not make it easier for us to grieve on earth, yet we do not grieve like those who have no hope. For as the Canons of the door teach, as David confesses, we ought not to doubt the election and salvation of our children whom God calls out of this life in infancy. I pray this is helpful for you to think about God's covenant promises made to us and to our children and I hope that you have a great week. Again, this is the uh, Cincy Reformed podcast. I'm Pastor Zach. We are sponsored by Westside Reformed Church. Check out our other episodes at cincyreformed.org. And also uh, check out our church, Westside Reformed Church, westsidereformed.org. And we'd love to have you worship with us if you're in town or in uh, if you're local. So thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.